This morning, God's Word comes to us from the prophet Isaiah. Isaiah chapter 52 and 53. We are going to begin our reading at Isaiah 52, verse 13, and then read through chapter 53 as well. Isaiah 52 beginning at verse 13, what we hear now is God's word. Behold, my servant shall act wisely. He shall be high and lifted up and shall be exalted. As many were astonished at you, his appearance was so marred beyond human semblance and his form beyond that of the children of mankind, so shall he sprinkle many nations Kings shall shut their mouths because of him. For that which has not been told them, they see. And that which they have not heard, they understand. Who has believed what he has heard from us? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he grew up before him like a young plant and like a root out of dry ground. He had no form or majesty that we should look at him, and no beauty that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised, and we esteemed him not. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace, and with his wounds we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed, and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. Like a lamb that is led to the slaughter, and like a sheep that before its shearers is silent, so he opened not his mouth. By oppression and judgment he was taken away. And as for his generation, who considered that he was cut off out of the land of the living, stricken for the transgression of my people? And they made his grave with the wicked, and with a rich man in his death, although he had done no violence, and there was no deceit in his mouth. Yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him. He has put him to grief. When his soul makes an offering for guilt, he shall see his offspring, he shall prolong his days. The will of the Lord shall prosper in his hand." Out of the anguish of his soul, he shall see and be satisfied. By his knowledge shall the righteous one, my servant, make many to be accounted righteous, and he shall bear their iniquities. Therefore, I will divide him a portion with the many, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong, because he poured out his soul to death and was numbered with the transgressors, Yet he bore the sins of many and made intercession for the transgressors. Here we end the reading 
of God's holy word. I invite you to take your Trinity Psalter hymnal once again and turn to the back section to page 862 in the back. This is the Belgic Confession of Faith, one of the confessional standards of our church. And this morning we're going to read Article 21. That's found near the bottom of the first column on page 862. Article 21 entitled, The Atonement. We believe that Jesus Christ is a high priest forever, according to the order of Melchizedek, made such by an oath, and that he presented himself in our name before his Father to appease his wrath with full satisfaction by offering himself on the tree of the cross and pouring out his precious blood for the cleansing of our sins as the prophets had predicted. For it is written that the chastisement of our peace was placed on the Son of God and that we are healed by his wounds. He was led to death as a lamb. He was numbered among sinners and condemned as a criminal by Pontius Pilate, though Pilate had declared that he was innocent. So he paid back what he had not stolen and suffered the just for the unjust in both his body and his soul in such a way that when he sensed the horrible punishment required by our sins, his sweat became like big drops of blood falling on the ground. He cried, my God, my God, why have you abandoned me? And he endured all this for the forgiveness of our sins. Therefore, we rightly say with Paul that we know nothing but Jesus and him crucified. We consider all things as dung for the excellence of the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. We find all comforts in his wounds and have no need to seek or invent any other means to reconcile ourselves with God than this one and only sacrifice once made, which renders believers perfect forever. This is also why the angel of God called him Jesus, that is, Savior, because he would save his people from their sins. This is our confession of faith. Well, we are in that section of the Belgic Confession dealing with the second person of the Trinity. We have been talking about the person of Jesus Christ, who he was, and now we move into Article 21, the work of Jesus Christ, what he did. And this morning we begin with a look at his work of atonement. When we think about the atonement, we are talking about one of the most fundamental truths of the Christian faith. It is what Jesus came to do. Jesus came for our salvation. Now kids, atonement is a word I don't suppose you hear around the house very much. Not very often mom and dad say, you've got to make atonement. But it's really a very, very simple word. Even you kids can understand this. If you look at the word atonement, and it's in the bulletin, the first two letters of that word are the word at. And the next three letters of that word are the word one. 
at one. And that's really what atonement is. It is to be made at one again. To be brought back together. To be reconciled, to be made at one. We are talking about an atonement between God and man. Between a God who is holy, righteous, perfect, and just, and a man who is fallen and sinful. Obviously, there has to be something to bring these two together, to make them at one. And that's the work of Jesus Christ. He comes to make atonement for the people of God. That work is pictured already in the Old Testament. That work is pictured in the prophet Isaiah. Four different times in Isaiah, we have what we call the suffering servant songs. Songs about a suffering servant. This is the fourth of those songs. And this song points us forward, points us beyond Isaiah, beyond his time points us forward to the work of Jesus Christ, the suffering servant of God who makes atonement for his people. We read in verse 13, Behold, my servant shall act wisely. He shall be high and lifted up. He shall be exalted. Verse 15, Kings shall shut their mouths because of him. For that which has not been told, they will see. That which they have not heard, they will understand. What the prophet is saying here is, it will be amazing. It will be unbelievable. This work of atonement... And it is still as amazing for us today as it was when Isaiah spoke these words. Who is the one who makes the atonement? What is the identity of this suffering servant? Look at verse 1 of 53. Who has believed what he has heard from us? To whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? This suffering servant is described as the arm of the Lord. In other words, it is God. The suffering servant is God himself. We have talked about the fact that Jesus Christ was truly divine. He is the arm of the Lord. He is the power of God. He has the power to make the atonement. He is strong enough to save all of his people. We do not have a weak Christ. We do not have a frail Christ. We have one who is described as the arm of the Lord. Strong, powerful to save. That's who this suffering servant is. But go on to verse 2. For he grew up before him like a young plant and like a root out of dry ground. He had no form or majesty that we should look at him and no beauty that we should desire him. The prophet here speaks about his humanity. He was truly human. And, 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 and not a human we would flock to. 
not some powerful, strong figure. Everybody surrounds him. No, he had no form nor majesty that we should look at him, no beauty that we should desire him. The author here speaks about his humanity, about his weakness, about his frailty. He was one who was rejected by men. And so we see Isaiah painting this picture for us of the Christ we have talked about for the last several weeks. The Christ who was absolutely, truly divine. The power of God. But one who was truly human. Who would humble himself to take on human form the God-man. That's who this suffering servant is. He is the God-man. We sing at Christmas time one of my favorite Christmas carols, Veiled in Flesh, the Godhead See. It's a beautiful line. Veiled in Flesh, Weakness, the Godhead See, Power. This is the suffering servant of God, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. What is it that this suffering servant comes to do? He comes to make an atonement. What is the nature of that atonement? Verse 4. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. The nature of the atonement is sacrificial. A sacrifice in the Old Testament would be offered to make atonement. A a sacrificial speaks of pain. A sacrificial speaks of bloodshed. Jesus Christ would come and he would shed his blood to accomplish the atonement. The nature of that atonement is sacrificial. He takes upon himself griefs sorrows. He is stricken. He is smitten. He is afflicted by God Himself. And He takes this to make atonement for His people. The nature of the atonement is sacrificial. The nature of the atonement is substitutionary. Again, kids, I know that that's a big word, substitutionary, but you know what that is. Maybe in school sometimes You show up in your classroom, and there's a different teacher there, a substitute teacher. Oh, I used to love substitute teacher day. A substitute teacher. Someone who takes the place of someone else. That's what a substitute is. Someone who takes the place of someone else. The atonement is substitutionary. Jesus takes our place. Notice in verse 5 the pronouns that are used here. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds 
we are healed. The atonement is substitutionary. He takes the punishment, he takes the pain, he takes the burden that belonged to us. He takes all of that that we might have his blessing. The atonement is substitutionary. We read in verse 6, all we like sheep have gone astray. All we have gone astray. There's a common culpability of all mankind. And then he goes on and he says, and we have turned everyone to his own way. There's a common culpability with an individual responsibility. Each and every one of us fall under God's just condemnation. And Jesus Christ comes to be the substitute. He suffers the pain that we might have the blessing. The atonement is sacrificial. It is substitutionary. It is voluntary. We read in verse 7, He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. Like a lamb that is led to the slaughter, and like a sheep that before its shears is silent, so he opened not his mouth. Now, I've never raised lambs, I've never raised sheep, but I have friends who have done that. And they tell me that a sheep or a lamb will follow wherever they are led. They will follow wherever you lead them, whether that's to be shorn or whether that's to be slaughtered. A lamb just comes along. There is, there is a silence of ignorance that a lamb has when it is led. Jesus is described as a lamb that is led to the slaughter. And like a sheep before its shearers is silent. But his silence was not a silence of ignorance. Jesus knew what was happening. His silence was a silence of submission. Willing to do what God the Father required of him. He would knowingly, willingly, voluntarily follow along all the way to death, knowing what was coming. The atonement is voluntary. And he would follow all the way to death. The atonement had a finality to it. Verse 8, by oppression and judgment he was taken away, and as for his generation, who considered that he was cut off from the land of the living, stricken by the transgressions of my people? Verse 9, and they make his grave with the wicked and with a rich man in his death, although he had done no violence and there was no deceit in his mouth. He went all the way to death. There is a finality in the atonement. Jesus did not go partway. He did not offer to make an atonement. But he would go all the way to death, a painful death on the cross. This speaks of bloodshed, of giving up of life. It points us to the beauty of Jesus Christ. And even the specificity of what the prophet says. 
He made his grave with the wicked. Who was Jesus crucified with, kids? It was with criminals. He was crucified with two criminals, one on his right and one on his left. He made his grave with the wicked. And we read, and with a rich man in his death. Again, pointing forward to Christ. Where was Jesus' body placed? It was placed in a tomb of a man named Joseph of Arimathea. And the Gospel writer Matthew, Matthew is the only one to point out this Joseph was a rich man. Matthew, a Jew writing to Jews. Matthew was aware of Isaiah with the rich in his death. Christ, the suffering servant, the one who would come and make the perfect atonement sacrificial, substitutionary, voluntary, and final. He has done everything necessary to secure the salvation of his own. Our confession says there's no more need to look for anyone else. No more need to seek a different Savior. Because Jesus Christ, the suffering servant of God, has done it all. Why? Why would he undergo this pain? Why would he undergo this death? We read in verse 10, Yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him. He has put him to grief. Why would Jesus do all this? It is not because... We are such great people. It is not because Jesus says, oh, look at those fine people living down there. Yes, they're living in sin. I guess I better go save them because they're so valuable. It was not because we are so great. It was not the goodness of man. It was Jesus' will to follow his Father's will. That's why he would go. That's why he would do this work of atonement, substitutionary, sacrificial, voluntary, final. He came to do the will of his Father. And in reading that, our, our, our minds go forward to the words of the Apostle Paul in Ephesians chapter 1. In love, he predestined us according to the purpose of his will. Jesus came to do this not because we're great people, but he, became, he came to do it because of the love and the free will of God to choose to save his own people. God's perfect will. Verse 10, the will of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. He comes to perfectly fulfill God's will. He comes to do everything necessary to secure salvation. Jesus does it all. And because of that, because of that, we read in verse 12, Therefore, I will divide him a portion with the many. He shall divide the spoil with the strong. 
because he poured out his soul to death and was numbered with transgressors. Jesus comes to do the will of his Father. And because of his submission, because of his obedience, he is exalted by God the Father. And we've talked about that in the last couple weeks as well. He is given the name that is above every name. Not just the name Jesus, Savior. He is the Lord, the King, the Ruler, the one to whom all owe obedience. God exalts him to the highest place because he fulfilled the work God had given him to do. It's a glorious picture of atonement, a glorious picture of being made at one again. But it's a picture that also contains a warning. What do we read in verse 11? Out of the anguish of his soul he shall see and be satisfied. By his knowledge shall my righteous one, my servant, make many to be accounted righteous. Make many accounted righteous. The end of verse 12. Yet he bore the sins of many. The atonement is not a universal atonement. Jesus did not die for all. Isaiah clearly teaches us. He could have said he died for all. Isaiah clearly teaches us. He died for many. The atonement is not universal. The atonement is not general. It is particular. Jesus died for each and every one of his own. Jesus died for each and every one who acknowledges him as Savior and as Lord. He died for his own. It's a beautiful picture for those who are in Christ Jesus and a warning to those who are not. If you have not bowed the knee to Jesus Christ, this God-man, this suffering servant, then this morning God calls to you. Put your faith, your trust, your hope in life and death in Him. Because outside of Him, there is no salvation. He came and made atonement for many. He came and made atonement for His own. For each and every one of them individually. He knows us. He knows our needs. He has taken away our sins. He has granted us His righteousness. We have a God who knows us and loves us. And so we can rejoice. We can rejoice as those who, who know the suffering servant, who know the nature of the atonement, and as those who have placed their faith in this one and only Savior, the arm of the Lord, yet stricken, smitten, afflicted because of our sin. Oh, we praise God for the glory of knowing his suffering servant who made atonement for us. Let's join together in prayer.
Lord our God, we praise you and we thank you for your holy word. We thank you for all of your word. For the clarity of the gospel in the New Testament and for the beautiful pictures of the gospel already in the Old Testament. Thank you for the words of the prophet Isaiah that point far beyond when he spoke them, but that point us to Jesus Christ, our only hope in life and in death. Lord God, may we leave today rejoicing in the salvation that is ours in him. And if, Lord God, there are those here who have not embraced this suffering servant, this God-man, we pray that today you would work in their hearts, in their lives, that they might know this glorious truth and the hope and assurance of salvation. Work mightily and powerfully today, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.